On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we jump right into local college football news. OU scrimmaged on Tuesday, and we've got some notes about who is standing out during training camp. And we heard from Mike Gundy for the first time in a while. In the National College Football Roundup, we take a look at the SEC schedule, break down the corona problems at Notre Dame in North Carolina, and check in on everyone's favorite disaster, Big Ten football. We wet the beak and look at the spread for game two between the Thunder and Rockets. We give you our winners and losers of the week and discuss the Sooner Summit in keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. I'm man Michael Hostie. We'll kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, August 20th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts couldn't be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. And how about these offers for new customers? If you open a new checking account or savings account, they give you $200. If you open both a new checking and savings account, they give you $500. Free money, people. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. Now, we're recording this on Wednesday night, and the Eichard household is a madhouse, Teddy. Wow. An absolute madhouse. We haven't even lived here for two weeks. Now, I, 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 I am kind of joking, but my brother and sister-in-law and my two nephews are living here for the How next- How old are the nephews? This is very important. Three and five. Ooh. Three oh. and five. So if you hear any shrieks during this podcast, you know where they're coming from. Now, I love them. I love my brother. I love my sister-in-law. But the two little hellions could be a challenge for me. As you know, Teddy, my patience, oh, eh, it's, it's not great, but I, this will be a growing experience. That's what my wife keeps saying. You need this. She says I need it. So... I yeah, am this will excited. Be, this will be fantastic birth control. Um, I don't know where you guys are in the decision-making <laughs> process, but this is going to push it off for a couple of years. That'll be great. Now, my, my main concern is I know you just got that house decorated, 
And I know there's probably some white chairs or white rugs and nice white uh, painted hallways and stuff. It's all going, they're going to leave their mark. And I, I know like we built our house and moved in. It was brand spanking new. So you're just like, when you're moving stuff in, you're extra careful. It's like when you get a new car, you're scared to get even the tiniest little nick on it. You, you park away from everyone else. Yeah. This is a great way to get you out of that mode because you're just going to have to say, well, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> the, the, way, the way I see it is if both of my nephews leave on Saturday and they're both still breathing, success, right? <laughs> Everything else can be replaced. Right. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it. I'm trying not to be too uptight about it. You know, be, I want to be the cool uncle. Right. But I'm pretty mean to these kids. So uh, we'll see. As long as you don't, as long as you don't kill them out of either um, anger or ignorance, um, you know, I think you'll be fine somewhere in between. It's not your fault. Okay. That seems fair. That seems fair to me. (laughs) Now there's a ton of news in the world of college football, but I did have, and I'm I'm not going to say who this person was, but uh, I was in a conversation and I was talking to someone about my love for scrambled eggs. I essentially eat scrambled eggs like six times a week. Like, and we're talking just two scrambled eggs, like two eggs, scramble them up, little cheese on top, salt, pepper, just a little snack, right? Kind of fits in the keto-ish diet, i.e. It's perfect. Quick, easy, easy cleanup. Right, easy cleanup. I've got everyone, we all have the little pan that we like for our scrambled eggs. You use the same one every time. I was in this conversation and this man, he is a, he's an older guy, but he goes, you don't just do your scrambled eggs in the microwave? And... I looked at the man like he was crazy, like insane. I was offended, shocked, and appalled. And he was like, no, 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 just make them in the microwave. Way easier. I was like, old man, you are nuts. There is no way I'm making them in the microwave. So, of course, I tried it. Of course, I did. It's it's definitely way easier. It is a little easier. It's not that bad, and they're fluffy, nice and fluffy out of the microwave. But I just... I don't think I can be a scrambled eggs in the microwave guy. I just, I, it only makes sense in a couple of circumstances is whenever you would do that. But I got to tell you, I've, I've been a, I've, I've done scrambled eggs in the microwave quite a few times, mainly whenever I was in high school and living at home, I did it quite a bit, but it's not half bad. If someone handed you microwaved scrambled eggs and compared them to some others, you probably couldn't tell. Right. And I, I tried it the last couple of days just to see the cleanup process. And it's about the same. It, it's really, it's pretty easy, but dude, I'm torn. I'm torn because I, I've been doing it one way for so long i mean i've had this process forever that's the thing if it's part of your process and part of your like routine of getting up and waking up in the morning that's one thing but if you don't care for the process and the end goal is just to put some scrambled eggs in your gut then microwaved eggs ain't bad damn it dude did you just make me a 
microwave scrambled eggs guy? I just, Here's the thing. It, like, can you trust someone that is a microwave scrambled eggs guy, like, consistently? I feel like that's something you only bring out, like, when you're in a pinch. You know what I mean? Well, here's the other thing. It's not necessarily something that you just openly admit. True. Um, some people are Yeah, okay I'm not telling that. anyone. Right. Just continue to act like you've got your favorite pan. You throw some real butter in there. Uh, maybe you do uh, four or five pieces of bacon beforehand to get some nice grease going. That's the story you tell. You don't tell that you've thrown it into a, uh, a bowl, whipped it up, tossed it in the microwave for a couple of minutes. I'm going to have to seriously think about this because I, I feel like this is a big life decision for me because literally I eat them almost every day as a snack. I've got so. a, I've got a, uh, a bit of another option for you. Ooh. Do you like poached eggs? I like eggs in essentially all forms. I've got, I mean, hard-boiled, everything. I, I will eat them in whatever form they are given to me. My mom got me this. Oh, gosh, I can't think of the name of it. But it's like a – It's, got it's like a gadget? Little, yeah, it's made out of – it's almost like made out of ceramic or something. But it's got two bowls. And you put a little bit of water in each bowl. And then you break an egg and put it in, just open it and put it in and put it in the other side, cover it and put it in the microwave for like three minutes. And you've got like perfect poached eggs. Huh? That is fantastic. And I just pull them out, dice them up on a plate, salt and pepper, and you're good to go. It's awesome. That, so many options. Eggs. Yeah. So I, versatile. I cheat a little bit. I put like three eggs in each side so I can get six eggs in there. It's kind You're of a, savage. You're it, savage, Teddy. It's fantastic. It tastes really good, and it's the easiest, easiest cleanup, quickest way to get it done. That's that's the whole key. It, it's all about finding the way that is the easiest cleanup. That that's the key. That's the key to every man's life. All right, let's get to this college football news. Let's start with the local college football news and that is brought to you by will and wiley hard seltzer guys stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it hard seltzers are amazing and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast and that is will and wiley hard seltzer from coop aleworks it's perfect for any occasion we drink it by the pool at the lake and at the tailgate it's made in oklahoma and it is absolutely delicious will and wiley is customized for the oklahoma lifestyle Go find it right now in the store near you and go follow them on social media at, at Will and Wiley. If you're drinking some because of us, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. Oklahoma scrimmaged on Tuesday, and we've got some notes about some of the standouts. First and foremost, it was good to hear that Theo Howard is healthy enough to be out there. I don't know if this kid is some type of superhuman healer, if he's got what made of antimantium or whatever Wolverine <laughs> is made of, but I don't think he's quite 100%. But if he can get to 100% before conference play starts, that's huge for OU, Teddy, because they need explosive playmakers at wide receiver. Marvin Mims has stood out as a guy that looks like he can make some plays down the field for the Sooners. But they were expecting big things when Theo Howard transferred in. And then that Achilles, and you were going, oh, my gosh, we're not even going to get to see this guy in the OU uniform. And now he's out there making plays in the scrimmage setting. Uh, the, the staff has to be thrilled. No, there's no doubt about that, especially whenever you just kind of look up and 
kind of look around at the wide receiver position. You had a guy uh, leave to the NFL. You've got a suspension in there. And then uh, Howard, obviously, with his injury, you're left pretty thin at wide receiver. And at least with experienced guys and, and names that are uh, established. But you're looking around like, man, we need to make sure we've got some good playmakers here. And they've been pretty thin, something that you never would have thought at wide receiver at Oklahoma. They're not thin in actuality. I mean, by the end of this season, whether it's Howard, whether it's Charleston Rambo, uh, Mims, there's going to be big-time playmakers on this team at wide receiver. We're just maybe a little unsure who those standouts are going to be. So um, the fact that he's out there moving around, flying around, dude, it's crazy. Some of these injuries, and Achilles injury used to be a death sentence for any type of athlete at any age. And now, I mean, I'm not going to say it's no big deal, but guys routinely come back from it. Right. It, especially in this situation, like it wasn't just some sort of mild strain, right? I mean, this kid, he, he must have worked extremely hard. I'm thrilled that he's healthy enough to be back out there. Seems like he still has a little bit to go. But uh, another note from OU's scrimmage. Now, clearly, OU fans – you know, the staff, no one was thrilled about Kennedy Brooks opting out, but him opting out has created some serious competition in the running backs room. And first of all, I've been told that DeMarco Murray has made a huge difference in that room. I'm talking an immediate impact, the way that he's pushing those kids and that that group has significantly improved in essentially every aspect. So that is really good to hear. Now, the two most talented guys in that room are Ramondre Stevenson and Seth McGowan. TJ Pledger is probably the most reliable guy. Pledger knows his assignments. He does the little things, right? I mean, when you talk about a veteran guy, he's been there for years, right? So yeah. He obviously is talented, which is why I think he will be the guy to trot out there first. He'll be labeled as the starter. But, Teddy, I am telling you right now, we should all start getting excited about Seth McGowan. The things I'm being told about this kid, he is violent with the ball in his hands. He gets downhill kind of like you know fans would remember Rodney Anderson getting downhill, not a lot of wasted movement, but he is way more elusive in space. OU fans are going to be so fired up about this guy when they see him. Just talk about a running back that is really, really physical, but super elusive when you get him out in the open field. That is a deadly combination. Well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the most difficult guys to tackle are guys that are both violent and elusive. And that sounds really obvious. But, you know, whenever you've got a guy that's a, that's a pure physical downhill runner that you know is going to lower the pads on contact at all times, you know, they're hard to tackle physically, but you know, you don't miss those guys a whole lot. You don't miss those tackles a whole lot because you know what's coming, right? Every time you've got one-on-one, -on -one, 
you're bracing and you're bringing everything you've got with you because you know it's about to be a big collision. And, you know, it takes a toll, but those guys are easier to tackle. And then you've got guys that are small and shifty and don't lower the pads. Those guys are a little easier to tackle because whenever you go to one-on-one, you come to balance, you gather, your, you gather yourself a little bit more. You're not going in for a big kill shot with everything you've got because you know you're going to – a spin move, a sidestep, you're going to get some type of move. So you come in, you know, with some balance there. The guys that do both, that's when it's hard. Because whenever you lighten up, you come to balance a little bit expecting a, a spin move or a juke, and he lowers the shoulder pads on you, and you've not, you don't have your whole, whole body there ready to brace for impact. Those guys are difficult. Then the next play, oh, he tried to run over me last time. Here we go. And you go full speed in there. What happens? He sidesteps you or spins off. Those guys are really, really difficult to tackle through the entirety of a game. So that's good to hear, man. I yeah, love and- that. You look at Seth McGowan, obviously freshman. So you may have him, you know, kind of some concepts limited a little bit. You know how difficult it is, Ted, when you're a freshman to kind of digest the entirety of a college football play, playbook. So I, I could see them using him a lot, especially you've got Ramondre Stevenson that has all that talent, but from every indication we have, he's not going to be able to play the first several games of the year with that suspension. So, dude, I'm fired up. I'm fired up to see McGowan with the things I'm hearing. And it's, it's going to be fun for fans if he just comes out and just destroys early in the season. That is, that's very exciting. Very, well, very mean, exciting. What's interesting is rarely would a team of OU stature or just any college football team or any team at any level, lose their two biggest rushers over the last couple of years, uh, the biggest source of their production um, on the ground, and that kind of not really be that big of a story. Okay, okay. This, is, I mean, this is weird. And when Kennedy Brooks opted out, a lot of people had a very strong reaction. But we've talked about it a lot. It's not like he's some jaw-dropping athlete, right? So the argument could be made, and I'm comfortable saying this, I think Ramondre Stevenson is a better pure athlete than Kennedy Brooks. I think Seth McGowan, from what I've been told, is a better athlete than Kennedy Brooks. Now, that doesn't take away from all the production that Kennedy Brooks has. Like That guy is a damn good football player with great balance and tremendous vision. But these guys are more explosive than than him. So you get them some confidence. They've created this sense of competition in the room for carries. Like, I I don't want to say it'll be it could be an overall positive for the Sooners because that sounds kind of harsh, but that's kind of how I think, man. I, I know that sounds crazy with a guy that's had back-to-back thousand-yard years, but these guys, these guys can go, Ted. Well, whenever you you hate to take away from anything that Kennedy Brooks has done, and you know, just like I don't mean this as any slight to Kennedy Brooks, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, 
you know, and I think this speaks a lot to the depth at Oklahoma at running back, even though we haven't had, you know, five-star recruits a whole lot at the position. I think Joe Mixon. Um, was yeah, that a guy was pretty recruit. good. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've had some guys that, you know, we highly recruited, but not just big names and not really the star of the offense. And I, I honestly believe, and again, not a slight to Kennedy Brooks, not a slight to Trey Sermon, but three games into this season, I don't think you'll even notice. I mean right. – I, I feel the same I just, way. I, I feel the same way, man. As good as the offense, the system is, as good as the offensive line is, I think – I don't want to say you could plug anyone into that position and they'd have a lot of sex uh, success. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe that comes with the territory. Nice. But, <laughs> I, I do think that any of the guys in that room – could be thousand yard rushers and and replicate the type of numbers that Sermon and Kennedy Brooks have had in recent years. I completely agree, and I was kind of wondering who could replace Sermon, right? Kind of is that physical back, and it, it sounds like Seth McGowan is a guy that is kind of cut from that cloth, right? So we'll we'll see. You mentioned that offensive line. I know a lot of fans have questions about the left tackle position. Some people talking about Eric Swenson. I think with the way things are trending right now, I think we could see Adrian Ely starting at left tackle. There are some questions about the right side of that offensive line. One interesting thing, OU is still waiting to hear from the NCAA about Chris Murray's eligibility for this season. Remember, started a ton of games at UCLA and transferred did he play left or right at UCLA? He played right. and He played a couple different positions, but they have been really impressed with his play. He has been very physical, and he will hit anyone that lines up across from him. You know how much Bill Beanbow loves guys mm -hmm. like that, and he is a serious candidate to start at right guard for this football team. Now, we'll see if he gets cleared. So that's still up in the air, and I have no idea when they will know. Hopefully soon. Hopefully before September 12th. That would be nice. The right I mean, tackle it's, position. It's kind of a serious thing you would think that the NCAA <laughs> would be like, well, they, yeah, we're they in didn't, training camp. You know, we'd like to know something. They didn't grant the Cade Bays kid at Tennessee – immediate eligibility after what his dad lost his pinky on the Georgia visit. That whole thing got really weird. He didn't get granted the waiver. So I have no idea whether to know if Chris Murray's going to get the waiver or not. That, I mean, it, it's, I, I, I sent you that deal about, uh, we have guys <laughs> losing limbs and we got guys losing digits, Teddy, and their kids aren't getting waivers. I don't know whether to think Chris Murray is going to be, eligible or what like i i got no clue i got no clue I don't, I don't either and i don't know that there's ever any rhyme or reason to to have the ability to predict what you think is going to happen i mean it's just it's almost like whose desk did the waiver land on you know on a specific day so that may be the most know. confusing thing in all of college football is those immediate eligibility waivers 
Well, you saw that flow chart I sent you. How funny was that? It's uh, it, it's from the old Banner Society, right? I think is that Bud <laughs> Elliott? I think it may be, but it's it's just this spider web of how you get granted an immediate eligibility waiver. It it, it is hilarious. It's it's awesome. But back to OU's o, o line, the right tackle position is interesting because remember last year when they were shuffling some guys around because of injuries we saw Tyrese Robinson play some tackle last season and he looked pretty good for a big guy that's used to playing inside at guard so I think they're going to continue to experiment with him at right tackle because he's comfortable out there he's got a ton of experience but there are some young bucks nipping at his heels that are fighting to get on the field. Andrew Rame and Anton Harrison are pushing for playing time. You love to see young guys pushing to get on the field. And one thing I know about Bill Beatonbow, he does not care how many games you've played. He doesn't care how many stars were by your name. He doesn't care about anything other than what you do on the practice field. Nor should he. That's how everyone – I wish everyone thought that way. You, you talk – there's always a lot of talk about the politics, right, in college football when it comes to coaches playing certain guys. Bill Beatonbow doesn't believe in any of that. It's whoever puts the best Survival stuff on Survival of tape. the fittest. <laughs> exactly. And Andrew Rame and Anton Harrison have added size – and they have been really impressive early in training camp. And the best part about it is it creates that sense of competition that we always talk about. Because I, I won't lie, when I was a senior, I knew I was not losing my job. And a, a big part of me wonders, like, if I would have felt threatened all of training camp, you know, throughout every week of practice, would that have raised my level of play? And the competitor inside me says, yeah, it would have. I would have been a better player my senior year if I would have had that young guy behind me pushing me. I, I, think, in, I think that that will only lift the level of every offensive lineman in the room when you got young guys like that pushing these veteran guys. I agree 100%. Um... I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, I would say that some some positions and some players, I think, benefit because football is, I mean, it's a confidence sport. I, if, if you're sitting there and you don't have a great amount of confidence and you're pressing and you're just you're, you're really stressing over being perfect and not making mistakes, it seems like that's when you tighten up and they happen. When you're loose and comfortable and you can just lock in, let your, let your technique work and, and have some confidence, it seems like you, you end up playing your best football. So I do think that when you have a couple of guys pushing each other, it, I think it, more than anything, it raises the level of the entire room. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think that's fantastic. Let me ask you this. So right now, would you have it Elliot left tackle – Tyrese at right, Creed obviously at center, uh, Murray at right guard as long as he's 
eligible. eligible. Yeah, I think he starts for them if he's eligible. I, I think they've been really – right guard. I think he starts at right guard. Well, and then I'm guessing – Who would you put at left? Marquise Hayes. Hayes. Hayes has locked that in. So He is – he is about as physical. Now, let's hope he can rein in those personal fouls just a little bit this year. I love, hey, you got to play with that edge. I love it. But a few a few less 15-yarders would be nice. So you throw Marquise Hayes and Creed, obviously, in there and all the guys we've mentioned. And on top, you throw Eric Swenson in to add some depth, a guy that can play both tackle positions. He can kick inside. A guy that has been there, knows the offense probably doesn't have the level of talent as some of these young guys do, but is a consistent player, especially when healthy. You got to remember he was connected by tape and glue last year with all the physical problems he was dealing with. So you're looking at eight offensive linemen that you feel good about. That well, is got, that's mean, a great situation to be in. If you trust the young bucks like you were talking about, I mean, you've got four tackles that, or no, you got five tackles that you trust um, and and feel like you could play. Ely Swenson at left, and then Tyrese in front of the two young bucks at right. I mean, there's I mean, you, you know as well as I do, tackles the hardest position on a team to fill to begin with. And when you've got five guys that you feel comfortable with, that's that's an embarrassment of riches. And then you and got you can move Tyrese around if you've got injuries on the inside. Right, and you have the best center in the country. That helps. That so anchors the entire thing. I feel pretty good about OU's offensive line situation. Oh, Please and by the way, the running back conversation we just had, you know, that's, that's why we feel pretty strongly about not really going to miss those guys, unfortunately. Unfortunately. And they're both great players. Sermon, Brooks, both great players. No slide against those guys, but when the offensive line is shaping up the way that it is, and let's not forget, they have the best offensive line coach in the country in Bill Bedenboe. It's exciting for the offense. I'm, I'm excited to see these guys go out and play. And I was also excited to see a guy we hadn't seen in a while, Teddy, and that was Mike Gundy, head football <laughs> coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys who met with the media earlier this week. And... I think it, the best way to describe it is what, as awkward as we hope it would be, right? Didn't I mean, give us much. He makes headlines even when he doesn't say anything, right? I mean, it's he's got it's, a gift, <laughs> right? Uh, it was. I only heard a couple of sound clips from from the the whole thing, and it was uncomfortable. It was um, you you would think that he would expand on some of these questions just a little bit well hold on hold on hold on you expect him to not dodge questions about how things have changed within the program since the whole t-shirt incident you thought he was going to answer that you thought he was going to give us some you know i've changed this that's made my players happy i uh, no (laughs) come on man He, he hasn't changed come on I mean, he's. Changed, I, I can't. I don't want to say that. I. I don't. He. His approach with the media isn't going to change. He's not now. He can change a lot within the walls of the building, and maybe he has. I mean, you could. You just have to ask the players, right? But 
he did end up saying that he's made some adjust- adjustments after listening to his players. I don't really have a problem with him keeping those things in-house, but it's just an interesting look for him to not take those opportunities to put some meaningful statements out publicly, especially when their whole season is going to be documented on ESPN+. Plus. By the way, I think episode two is out today, so that's fun. Well, here's the thing. Here's the interesting part about that. If someone asked the question, you know, what has changed in the locker room, in the facility, in your program, and you start going down the list, we've, we've changed this, I've changed this, I'm now doing this better, I'm doing that better. You go down a big old list, you're admitting to having a horribly run program that was um, – you know, rife with, with, you know, just an atmosphere that wasn't inclusive and and guys weren't comfortable with. If you start listing those things off, you're really admitting guilt. And he hasn't really done a whole lot of that up to this point. Now he's, he's said some of the right things and, and, and all of that, but if you start listing all these reasons, you're, you're really admitting guilt. And it doesn't look like he's in that place <laughs> right now. <laughs> maybe, maybe the best answer of all of them was when he was asked about the videos of all the Oklahoma State students getting after it in the bars and how that could affect the season, which is, you know, a pretty reasonable question. And he said he didn't want to talk about the virus and just wanted to talk about football. And it was like, that could very much affect football. Like, you might want to say, hey, guys, maybe don't do that. Or maybe, you know, dial it back a little bit. Or or something, like like anything. What do you think about all the students out? Well, I'm not going to comment on the virus. I just want to talk football. Okay, how's the team look so far? No comment. (laughs) Isn't that weird how that works? (laughs) Now, one more piece of local college football news, which does affect Mike Gundy and the Cowboys. Tulsa football had to pause practice until further notice. Eight players have tested positive for the coronavirus, and there's an additional, I believe, eight guys in isolation that came into close contact with those guys that tested positive. Now, the rest of the team is just going to be working out and meeting until they can resume practice. But not an ideal situation for our friends there in the 918, especially when, what is that, the turnpike rivalry is yeah. supposed to be played? There's so September much riding 12th. on the line. Can't wait. It. The winner gets a speeding ticket, I think, is, is oh you know, what you've you got from me. <laughs> your disdain for, for Tulsa football never ceases to amaze me. What did, what did uh, Tulsa do to you? Tulsa did nothing. It's really not Tulsa. It's more Oklahoma State. And I I don't know. I just find it, I mean, hilarious, really, that, and I know they're trying to drum up some fan support for it or whatever, but you don't want to be included with a rivalry with a team that, I mean, isn't even in a Power 5 conference. You know what I'm saying? It Doesn't it? Isn't it a little demeaning? But, Nothing against Tulsa. I just, yeah, I, I think I know what you're saying. Like, 
hell, like it Gabe, shouldn't be a rivalry. Like a rivalry is supposed to be where both teams beat each other consistently, right? That's that's what example, I think of a rivalry as. For example, I would say about seventy-five to eighty percent of Oklahoma fans won't even consider Oklahoma State a rival. They won't do it. They absolutely will not consider Oklahoma State a rival. They would not give them the satisfaction. Exactly. There's no way Texas you're not on is our, our level. Rival. Not Oklahoma State. We beat them too often. I've heard that thousands of times from right. OU fans. And then Oklahoma State's over there. It's like, yeah, Tulsa, woo, rivals. Let's go. This will be fun. Well, I I could understand Oklahoma State fans embracing it because you know you're going to beat their ass all the time. Like, sure. It, you may lose to them, what, once every 20 years? Something like, hopefully, if you're Oklahoma State. I'd, I don't know. But let's be nice to our friends in Tulsa. The Golden Hur- Hey, the Golden Hurricane are dealing with a little Rona outbreak. So, tough. hey, they have our best wishes. Get well soon, Tulsa football. Moving on to the National College Football Roundup, and that is brought to you by Insurica. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. All right, a big development in the D1 council meeting. On Wednesday, they recommend that all fall sport athletes keep their year of eligibility, no matter if they play in the fall or the spring, no matter the number of games they play, which means current seniors, including football players, would be exempted from 2021 scholarship limits. Now, the NCAA Board of Directors We'll vote on this on Friday, and oh my gosh, this could have some serious effects in college football. I, I don't even know if we can – we always talk about unintended consequences, right? I mean, there are just going to be a bunch of doctors now playing college football. This Guys are going to get fifth years, sixth years. Like, this is going to be – this could be great. This could be great for the level of the game in college football, but I also look at it going, man, this sucks for the young players. I mean, for some teams, it's going to be fantastic. For others, it's not going to be nearly as good. For instance, a, a team like Oklahoma, um, they've got like three seniors on the team <laughs> that contribute. I mean, it's so I'll tell you a guy that is probably loving it right now is Ramondre Stevenson as a senior, who's going to miss a big chunk of his early games. If that happens, um, you know, he'd be able to come back and, and play a full senior season. That's a, that would be, that's a really good point. But like, what are we talking about? 
why in the world would they give guys that just played a, a 10, 11, 12 game season, uh, won a conference championship, played in a college football playoff, a free year of eligibility? How does that even make sense? I mean, I would understand if you're six games into the season and it has to be shut down. I get that. But they're saying no matter how many games you play, like, Everyone's coming back, baby. Free year. That seems insane to me. I just – BYU is going to have like 38-year-olds on their team. It's going to be unbelievable. No, but it's going to be so interesting to see how this plays out, right? Because your elite programs, your Ohio States, your Oklahomas, your Clemsons, your Bamas, LSUs, those guys are going to move on and try to play in the National Football League, right? I mean, how many of those teams will have seniors go, nah, I'll put the league off. Let's give it another go. Here we go. Victory lap, baby. I don't think we'll see that much of it. Who I really think it benefits is teams in these conferences, even in the Power Five where, like, like a Kansas State, right? Get their Where, for another year. Yeah, the, like Skylar Thompson is going to get another year. You just look at the ramifications this is going to have for teams that don't have a bunch of top-end NFL talent. This is kind of – I wonder if it'll – State's got a, a, a senior-heavy football team. For sure. You know, Now, they're going to lose some of their top players, but still, I mean, they're going to be able to get a bunch of experience back. I wonder – and I know the sports are completely different, but I wonder if this will have kind of an effect like we see in college basketball where I always, when, I, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I always look for the old teams, guys that have guys that have been there for three, four, five years, you know, guys that tournament red-shirted. I mean, guys that have just played. So it would not shock me if, you know, and this still has to get approved, and I think it will on Friday, it wouldn't shock me to see some teams. Now, your elite teams are always, they're going to they're gonna be in contention, but we're going to be really surprised, I think, next season when a guy that we thought was going to be gone is still playing. And some teams are going to have a bunch of those guys that aren't really Sam NFL Ellinger, Texas. Oh, my gosh. But can you see, like, a team that's kind of in the middle of the pack of a conference, and I'm just using the Big 12 teams because that's what we know the best, but, like, in Iowa State, right, where they have some guys that are going to play in the league, but they have a lot of guys that are getting undrafted grades, and might as well, why not go to college for another semester, for another year for free? Party? Or, Start I mean, your master's degree? Play another year of football? Like, why not? Think about a guy like, uh, I mean, like like a like a Chance Sylvie is going to be a senior. You can go, you can play. This is your senior year. This is your last run. Haven't had a whole lot of play at Oklahoma, and it's just like you you're probably going to be a a rotational guy or a backup guy, special teams. And it's like this is my senior year. This is it. You know, I've got to enjoy every second of it. But now it's like. 
I may enjoy every second of it, but then I may transfer and go play safety somewhere in, you know, a non-power five school. The transfer portal is going to be popping. Yeah. It's like, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll enjoy this year, but then I'll have another year to go play football somewhere if I want to. Right. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I still don't know the reasoning behind it. At the end of the day, I don't care. It's not, it doesn't have any effect on me. I just don't really understand why. Yeah, I don't know if it's because these kids aren't getting the college experience. Let me or, ask you this. I don't know. What are, the, what are the percentage chances that the Pac-12 or the Big Ten actually plays a spring football season? I would put if, – if I – my percentage chance I think it happens, You're, I think yeah. there's a 0% chance of that happening. Okay. I don't think it's so, a 50 I, – I just – I mean, we talked about it at a time, but, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. I agree with that. So you're the Pac-12 and you're the Big Ten. You didn't play a fall season. Well, that would make sense that those guys didn't lose a year of eligibility, right? Correct. But you're going to be sitting there as a Big Ten school, as a Pac-12 school, watching the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC play a full season. And then at the end, it's like, no harm, no foul, baby. We're back next fall. We're going to be playing another year. That would piss me off to no end. And you know something else that came out of that D1 council meeting? The 20 hours that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 teams were getting, the 20 hours they were getting in a week with their players, they're only getting 12 from now on, the teams that aren't playing in the fall. And that's for – it's basically – remember that enhanced training camp we talked about leading up into camp? It's supposed to be kind of that format. So not only are the other conferences players, the seniors, going to get an extra year of eligibility, but you're getting less time with your guys. They should, in my opinion, they should just give them a spring football in the fall if they want it. And, you know, and if you need to just keep it as an enhanced training camp, do that, but I don't think you should be able to have an entire semester of football practice at 20 hours a week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Safe enough to practice, not safe enough to play. Hmm. Fascinating how that works. huh? We were just talking about the seniors, the way that the statement reads, doesn't everybody not lose a year of eligibility? Yeah. That's great. I mean, <laughs> that's it makes zero sense. I have no idea. No matter how many games you play, Make, again, if like if if you played, if the SEC, Big Twelve, ACC get five games in and they're like, we just can't do this, that makes sense. But not if you play an entire season. Spencer Rattler gets another year. Let's go. All right, sign me up. All right, now there was some exciting stuff in college football when it comes to teams that are still planning to play the sec schedule is out now the whole thing is that it is supposed to make things as competitive as possible okay Uh, we we touched on some of the sec coaches respectfully disagreeing with that but this is awesome uh first of all i know you probably loved the schedule release, Teddy, you've been begging for something like that in college Come football on, it's too easy. for so long. It was great. 
it, it really was great. And see, Notice how the Big 12 didn't do that. Yeah. <sighs> That's, that was annoying. Like, just <laughs> we, we couldn't make the grid a little cooler. Come on, guys. Seeing all these good games in the SEC and not seeing any bullshit games against FCS opponents in November brought me joy. I mean, it, it really did. Now, the week one matchups, they aren't that sexy. And when I saw the week one matchups, it made me a little skeptical. I was like, are they going to push back and they don't care if those games get played or get moved? Or is this just a sign that they aren't front-loading it? And it, it isn't front-loaded. And that's something we thought that could happen, right? You want to get the games in before, hey, maybe something bad happens. In. Exactly. But that makes me think, the SEC, it's all or nothing, right? If they start, they're playing this whole thing, and there are some legit matchups. Now, this is going to make you angry, Teddy. I'm just going to warn you because I know how you feel about the way the SEC does its schedule with normally only playing their eight conference games. But Bama and Georgia, which could be the best game in the SEC this season, they will play on October 17th. Georgia is playing in Tuscaloosa Tuscaloosa for the first time since what year? 2007. 2007. This is the first time Georgia is going to Bama since 2007. How how is that possible? Like, what? It's ridiculous. I mean, it's insane. It's, it's unfair for the rest of the teams in the, in the conference, you know, that you, you've, you continue to allow the teams at the top to, to stack, stack wins and stack big, impressive bowl games because they've got those records. It's total crap. It's not I, that difficult. I mean, I can tell to you figure love it. the schedule out. It's not that hard to make sure that everyone plays everyone. It's like, oh, huh, amazing. Alabama plays Arkansas again this year. Just, I, you know, how do, we, how do we figure that out? It's just, man, those bad teams are so unlucky. They get stuck playing the good teams every single year. It's like, you know, South Carolina's, you know, been to Tuscaloosa every year for the past 10 seasons. It's stupid. The whole thing's stupid. Um, you know, they just serve it up to their, their good teams. And, hey, it's worked for them because those good that's, teams are that's the true. most relevant in college football, so you can't hate them too much for it. And they got some absolute dudes. Now, as mad as that makes you, this will make you happy. Bama, LSU, November 14th, meaning Bama will play the national defending national champions the same weekend as the Masters. That is going to be an awesome sports weekend. Who do we have that weekend? I don't care. I may skip it to watch Bama LSU. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm hope. Do we have a bye weekend there somewhere? Come on. No, that's awesome. That'll be fun. Um, That may be. 2020 has been like the craziest year ever. It is an OU bye weekend. Let's it is. fucking go. 
let's literally go. Let's just go to the game <laughs> or to the Masters, even I'm though in. they're not going to have people there. But here's how crazy 2020 is. You know, we've got the Masters is going to be being played during the football season, which is the – like, that's crazier right now than the fact that our government – not basically, literally told us that they've got alien artifacts and no one's even talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how crazy Remember 2020 the, is. Like, there was like, uh, there just was swipe, like, next story, no big deal. <laughs> there was like 10 minutes where people were talking about those UFOs, right? And everyone was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Well, the coronavirus, you know, it's yeah. just, it was like, it's like we didn't even care. It was, I heard the ACC is going to bring Notre Dame in. It's crazy, bro. Oh, man. Now, a big SEC East showdown has been moved pretty dramatically. Tennessee and Florida were supposed to play in September. That game is now December 5th. So that's a big change. And I kind of like what that could create for that football game because if Tennessee is any good, and they don't have to play Oklahoma anymore. Maybe they get on a roll early in the year. That'd be a really that I mean that'd be a huge football yeah. game in that divisional race. No, it could be. Um, that'll be another weird thing watching, you know, conference games being played into December, which is which is strange. But yeah, Tennessee, Florida. I mean, the East. Look out, the SEC, dude. I mean, I think Tennessee has a legitimate shot to bounce back. Is it going to be this year? I, I don't think they've got the right quarterback there this year, but I think they definitely have the right head coach. Not a Garantano believer, whatever the no, kid's name is. I'm not as of right now, but they've recruited really well. Uh, it's a tough, well-coached football team, and it's only going to become more so that way. So I like them. I think Florida is a really good football team. Obviously, Georgia. So the East is all of a sudden getting pretty daggum deep in the SEC. Yeah, and then in order to avoid – an absolute just I, I don't even know what would happen in the state of Alabama if they would have moved the Iron Bowl the Iron Bowl stays when it's normally played and that'll be on Thanksgiving weekend so we don't have to hear people in the state of Alabama whine about that which is good I, I think we're all thankful because we don't need any more complaining in this country right now we just don't we don't well, at least we don't have a quarterback this year that downplays OU Texas because he's played in the Iron Bowl. Is it too soon to hit Jalen Hurts over that deal? No, but it uh, probably not a good week after the whole backpack thing with the uh, with the little that kid. That was cool. That's pretty cool. It was. I saw that and I was like, that's that's pretty cool. That's how horrible I am. I never in a million years would have ever thought of uh, doing something like that. That was awesome. But you don't have a heart. It's fine. No, it's unfortunately it's true. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's check in on our friends in the ACC. They're still planning on playing football, but some uh, some issues at North Carolina and Notre Dame, and I'm not sure if they're trying to save college football or trying to ruin it. I, I haven't really decided, but there are big outbreaks or clusters. I'm not sure what the proper lingo is here. Apparently, there's a difference. That's for you people to decide. Um, whatever. They're the same in my mind. But 
All I know is there's a shit ton of kids at North Carolina and Notre Dame that got the coronavirus over the last couple of days when they tested all of them. And the positivity rates at the health centers there on campus were alarming. As a result, North Carolina shifted to full-time remote learning for undergraduates and is also working on, quote, de-densification of its yes. residential halls, which is a term I have never heard but will definitely be using from now on. But the athletes can stay because, of course, they can. Now, North Carolina has canceled activities through Thursday. So that's, you know, that's interesting. Now, Notre Dame announced virtual learning for undergraduate undergraduates until September 2nd. Notre Dame canceled practice Wednesday. They may cancel it Thursday. They're trying to clear some things up, I guess, with their players. They're restricting student activities and gatherings there in South Bend, including limiting access to dorms. So are they just not letting those nerds go sleep? I don't know. I don't know what's happening. But it sounds like it's detrimental to football season when you just look at it on the surface. But, Teddy, I can't decide, is this the best thing or the worst thing for college football? Like, I know it sounds bad. I, I want to make it clear. Getting the coronavirus, bad. Don't want that to happen for these kids. But it kind of makes these schools do some things that could help bubble-ish. football. Ha- bubbleish things. Bubbleish. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. It's, I guess it's, um, to me, if you just look at what's happening, you would probably say, well, this is going to create a better environment for those players to stay virus free. Um, but there's going to be the other side that looks at the term de-densification as really the universities and the athletic department saying, get those damn students away from our money makers. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so uh, I, I don't know. I've, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, okay. but this is a good thing in my mind. And I have been, I have been advocating for this for a while now, but football players don't have to step foot in a classroom around normal students when these schools go online or virtual, whatever the hell they want to call it. Now, the living situation, that's a little different in my mind. Seems a little more complicated. But I've been advocating for the football players to only take online classes or virtual classes. I think every coach in the country should push for that. Every coach that, whose team is still planning on playing in the fall. If I'm a coach, no player would step foot in a classroom. We heard from Mike Gunny, right? He said, what, 75% of their players will be in majority online classes. He should get that to 100. I mean, Mac Brown, he, he didn't hide how he felt about it. I mean, he straight out came out and said that this helps create more of a bubble atmosphere around his team. I don't think every school that is still planning on playing football is going to go to online only. But I do think that college football coaches should, I don't want to say pressure, but maybe try to influence the administration at their 
universities into letting their guys go online only or a combination of online and virtual to where they don't have to be around other students. I, I think that's fair, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I imagine, and I don't know how you would think after the spring semester all throughout the summer and by now the fall, that they've made the the proper preparations to be able to take all their classes online if they need to, right? If, right, if they, they got to be used to it by now. Right. So there's got to be what I'm saying is they got to be able to have the curriculum and the capabilities to go virtual or online. I mean, that's got to be able to happen. I mean, at one point you could have said that, well, we just don't have the capability to go online with it or or virtual. Um, you know, so I, but they've got those capabilities now, so I don't know why really any kid will be stepping foot in a class. I mean, God, I wish they would have had this whenever I was in college. But the only thing that worries me now that kids don't have to get up for that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. Why you think I said I wish they had it whenever I was in college? These kids are going to be partying balls. They're. That, my classes oh. were all were all virtual before they even had it. I, you know, I was I wasn't in it, I wasn't there in person. I was virtually learning it somewhere. <laughs> right. So, I I know I I think this could lead to all online classes for football players, but I think some of these universities when they go online only, like North Carolina, they're just expecting the kids to go home. What happens if they just don't and all their classes are online and they can just party their asses off all the time? Just do what uh, L.A. did to their residents whenever they were partying. Turn their electricity and water off slowly. They'll get get the hint and go home. So we'll see, but we'll keep our eye on those developments. Now, Ted, let's check in on the Big Ten dumpster fire. And, (laughs) oh, my God, it is raging. It is raging even stronger than last time we looked at it. Okay, so the Penn State athletic director made some headlines. She said she wasn't really sure if there was a formal, formal vote by the presidents. The Nebraska chancellor comes in on a radio interview, says that there was a vote, but it wasn't unanimous. James Franklin comes out. He says that they don't really have any answers to communicate to their players, and they're very frustrated. And I'm sure that James Franklin is very, very excited about the D1 Council approving a 12-hour rule for teams not playing in the fall, cutting their time from those 20 hours. I'm sure he is absolutely thrilled. But the best part of all of this, the Big Ten parents are big mad. I mean, these people, they're mobilizing, Teddy. The Big Ten parents are mobilizing, and it is led by Sean Wade's dad. Remember Sean Wade, guy that knocked the hell out of Trevor Lawrence and got ejected in that semifinal? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How could you forget? How could you A little forget? controversial. Yeah. But his dad, Randy, is actually flying to the Big Ten headquarters in Rosemont, Illinois, who knew? Rosemont, Illinois, never even heard about it. How about that? To pressure Kevin Warren into giving some answers about why the season got canceled. 
He is hoping other parents join him. He wants to pressure them. He straight up says it to reinstating the season. This continues to be an absolute nightmare for the Big Ten for Kevin Warren, but it is absolutely hilarious at this point. Now, Kevin Warren finally came out, put out a letter saying that the conference will not reconsider what they've done. They're not going to reconsider it. So I don't know if Sean Wade's dad's still going to show up. We'll see. I hope he does just because I want to see the footage. But the letter says the primary factors for canceling were rising transmission rates, the unknowns that surround the virus, including recovery and long-term effects, the concerns around contact tracing and how it applies in contact sports. But my issue it's not that the letter, because the letter's pretty good, but I actually read things. Nobody reads things anymore. Kevin, you have to put this in a one or two minute video clip. You can't put it in an article. No one's going to read it, man. What are you doing? I, you know, this whole thing is fascinating to me. The Penn State athletic director says she wasn't really sure if there was a formal vote by the presidents. Why doesn't she just act to ask the president of Penn State? That doesn't seem very difficult. That was right? my initial reaction. It's like, how do you not how do you not know that at this point? Like I could understand like a random fan saying, I just don't know if there's ever a formal vote. It, not the Penn State quote. <laughs> the Penn State athletic director, if she doesn't know, a text message or picking up the phone could give her that answer immediately. The Nebraska Chancellor says that there was a vote. But it wasn't unanimous. Okay, so are you telling me because Indiana was the one school that thought they should continue to play football that everyone should go ahead and play football? How about if it was the other way? How about if uh, 13 of the 14 teams said, let's go ahead and play it, and Indiana said, nah, you know what? I just don't think uh, we should do it. Well, We're it wasn't good. unanimous. We should cancel the season apparently, right? So that doesn't make any sense. I, the the fascinating thing to me is I saw, and I'm not sure who it was, but someone's got a freedom of information order against one of the universities to see all of their communications, to see. I bet exactly, it's Tom Mars. He's the guy. That's exactly that's, who it is. He's the guy that always is coming at the NCAA. Right. Always. So and. According to like what I read, he's got a long list of terms that he wants any communication between the president's athletic directors, uh, chancellors that involve like a list of terms. And, and some of those were like crowd size and money. And I, it's like he's trying to tie it to they didn't cancel the season because of the virus. They canceled the season because of money. And they felt like they could have a full uh, full season in the spring and make money. I don't know, but it's interesting. But I, I got news for those folks. It ain't happening in the fall, and I don't think it's happening in the spring. So I, I hate that I, for them. I hate but. it for the kids. I just want to see how many parents show up at Big Ten headquarters. That's all I, that's all I, I want to see. I can't Picketing. wait. <laughs> you think they'll have the gas mask and the, um, the umbrellas like the Antifa people out there? Oh, my gosh. Tennis rackets. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Tear gas. It's going to be so awesome. This is the frustrating awesome. thing, though. Again, 
is everyone waits until the last possible moment to all of a sudden um, feel like they need to have their voices heard. If you would have done this in May, June, and July, you probably would be playing football right now. Right. Right. I feel bad for the people in the Big Ten, but th- this dysfunction has has been very entertaining for me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I agree. I, I, it's you been know, great. Part of me is like, I love watching Big Ten football. I think it's a great conference, and it just kind of feels like football up there with the weather, and uh, they've got some really big campuses and big fan bases. But the other end of it is it's like everyone's kind of gotten themselves in this situation by not saying what they mean. You know, we've, we've talked about this in – and just kind of dodging around. That's kind of how me and you are, though. We're, you know, we're not direct. We don't just tell people how we think. We kind of you know, beat around the bush. Wait, sure. what? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm always checking my phone to see if I've been fired recently. Yeah, so I, it's just <laughs> I, if you just come out, lay down the facts, lay down what you think, what you know, where you're trying to get, what you're trying to accomplish, and what those roadblocks are, then people are going to be a lot more understanding. But if the entire time you're scared to say some of these things and you're scared to say that I think we can play football safely and here's how we're going to do it, then, I mean, you kind of – this is what you asked for. So, right. no. It's hilarious. All right, moving on to our segments. It is Thursday, so you know we got to wet the beak just a little bit. And Wet the Beak is brought to you by Tim Hughes Custom Homes. Are you looking to build your dream home? If so, Tim Hughes is the man you are looking for. Tim Hughes Custom Homes is a one-stop shop for all of your home building needs. He can find you a lot. He can find you an architect. He'll find you financing. And of course, he can build your dream home exactly the way you want it. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, Tim found my wife and me a lot. He found us an architect and built our new home. Tim and his team were so easy to work with. My man took a bad spill in Jackson Hole this week. I saw on his Instagram. I hope you're okay, Tim. I hope you're all right, man. I think he was mountain biking. It looked bad, though. It was like ribs and maybe thumb. Okay, back to the read. But he's also built several office buildings. So if your business is looking to build a custom office, Tim Hughes is your man. You can see Tim's custom builds throughout Gallardia, Nichols Hills, Oak Tree, Stone Mill, and Rose Creek. It is a great time to build the home of your dreams. For more information and to see Tim's spectacular work, visit his Instagram page at Tim Hughes Custom Homes or visit TimHughesCustomHomes.com. All right, Teddy, it's what the beak. Thunder Rockets. Game one did not go particularly well for our boys. Uh, James Harden. Turns out that guy is still very, very good at basketball. He dominated, what, 37 points. Now, that didn't surprise me. He's going to get his, right? I didn't, now, I didn't expect the Thunder to get roasted by Jeff Green and Ben McLemore. Uh, that, was, that was not something I had in my pregame notes. Uh, I also didn't expect the Thunder to struggle the way they struggled defensively the Rockets got to the rim really easily. The Thunder didn't do a great job of protecting the rim. They didn't do a great job of scrambling out and contesting shooters on the Rockets' driving kicks. 
I know people think that the Rockets aren't going to shoot it that well again. And I'm kind of confused why people think that because if you give NBA players shoot around shots, that's what I call wide open looks, shoot around shots. They are going to hit them at a high clip. The Rockets shot 39% from three. It's not like they shot 50% from three. They can do it again, people. So stop saying they won't shoot that well again because it's very possible. Now, I know they've been up and down with their three-point shooting, but I really was surprised to see the Thunder struggle so much against, oh my gosh, the Rockets playing zone defense. I was, they were just shooting threes and getting fouled, and they were playing a zone defense. It was a painful watch, Teddy, painful and we thought the Thunder were going to be the team that benefited uh, from not having Russell Westbrook in the playoffs. And it turns out it was his own team. The Rockets uh, played better without him. Just a joke there. Too soon on Russell Westbrook? No. How about the people that were going, who would have thought that the Thunder would miss Lou Dort more than the Rockets would miss Russell Westbrook? I was like, eh, come on, guys. Uh, I mean, come on. I, I, uh, they did miss Dort, but I, I'm here to tell you, Dort's going to get cooked by Harden just like the rest of them. Now, yeah. Dort may make him work a little harder on the defensive end, and he may be able to lean on him a little more with his strength. Yeah. Well, Harden's getting somewhere in between 30 and 40. Just you, yep. you can book it. It's happening. Well, uh, I listened to a big chunk of the game in my car driving back from Tulsa, and um, – I love listening to Matt Pinto. Have you ever you listened to his call much? He he, uh, he takes he Homer a little... <laughs> to a new level, and I love it. He takes Homer to a new level, usually aimed at the officials and opposing players. But uh, whenever it's not pretty out there, he goes pretty hard on them. And <laughs> he was, uh, I, I mean, it was like in one sequence, it was hilarious. He said, "The Thunder's perimeter defense has left a lot to be desired tonight," and then. They bring it the, – the Rockets bring it down, and he's in his real fast play-by-play, and he's like, Harden kicks it to Jeff Green, and there's a vacant parking lot between him and the nearest defender, and, of course, he drains the three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you leave NBA players that open, like, they're going to hit shots. Like, oh, these yeah. guys are the best shooters I in the world. I also think that those bubble – the gym there is a lot easier for the shooters. I mean, because – I've heard some players talk about that, yeah. You know, I don't. I'm not a not a big basketball player, but you know, whenever you're in a tighter space and you've got more ability for depth perception instead of playing those big arenas, that it's a lot easier for those guys to dial it in and shoot. And you've seen some teams really, really hammer that three ball. So well, I don't know, man. I'm with you though. Here's the thing: if if you can make life as difficult as possible for Harden, he's gonna get his, but you've got to make it hard on him. Uh, Russell Westbrook's going to come back. The The theory should be let Jeff Green and Macklemore beat you, right? I mean, that's, that's right. kind of what you got to go with. And if Correct. they're going to bury threes the way they did, you still can't allow those guys to sit out on the three-point line completely uncontested and, and shoot threes. You've got to have better perimeter defense. But that's the theory you want. If you look back on the series and Jeff Green was just burying threes and that's how they won the thing, well, then – you're going to say, well, what are we going to do? We can't stop everyone. I mean, we, we did our best against the best guys. So 
I do think that 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 is the the right formula. They just got to be better executing it. Yeah, let's look at the game two spread. The Thunder are a two point underdog. Now, could this be a bounce back game for the Oklahoma City Thunder? No Westbrook. He's already been ruled out for game two. We've got our fingers crossed for Dort. Probably not going to know until a couple hours before the game. But Chris Paul, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they got to be better. And I know Chris Paul had a really good stat line. But he's going to have to adjust because the best thing Chris Paul does offensively, and we don't have to pretend, he is not a great defender anymore. He used to be. He's not anymore. But his biggest strength on offense is getting to the elbows. He's, he's the best mid-range shooter in basketball. He really is. And he normally does that by taking advantage of bigs on the other team by getting them switched onto him in the pick and roll. And that way, against kind of a big lumbering guy or a guy that maybe can't match up with his quickness that he still has, he can get to his spots, shoot those mid-range shots, and dictate a lot of things when he can get into that area of the floor. Well, the Rockets don't have any big people. Like, they just don't. So that situation against them, I mean, it doesn't exist. That is So uh, he, he's going to have to figure something out now. Everyone always talks about how he's a basketball genius, so I'm excited to see the adjustments he makes, especially offensively. But the most disappointing part of game one for me was how Shea Gilgis-Alexander played. First playoff game, he was a non-factor offensively. He was a non-factor defensively. I'm hoping that the Thunder can bounce back and win game two because Shea Gilgis-Alexander rises to the occasion, looks at that film from game one, goes, oh my God, I was horrible, and wants to prove that he is one of the elite players in this league, which throughout this season and the restart, like he's been so damn good. I mean, he's a leading scorer for this basketball team. You hope that those guys from Houston miss some of those shots. You hope the Thunder can test them a little more. Harden's going to get his. But this all comes down to Shea and Schroeder for me because they they just didn't play well enough offensively. Yeah. Well, here's the good news. The good news is we've taken that first fidelity savings account $500 cash bonus. Two weeks ago, um, whenever you listened to the Wet the Beak segment, we turned that into 1000 bucks. Last week on Wet the Beak, we earned 20% on that $1,000 by picking Damian Lillard as the bubble player. And I don't even know if that's been announced yet, but come on, that's in the back. Oh, come on. It's got to be. Okay. No debate. Currently, we sit at $1,200 free cash, and we're on our way to uh, your first down payment on the mortgage for First Fidelity moving into your new home. Uh, So we're putting it all on the line uh, for the Thunder. I know they're getting to. I'm I'm really not even concerned about that. Bounce back fashion. Uh, I'm hope Lou Dort would be a just a bonus at this point. Russell Westbrook's going to be out. They're going to move some things around. They're going to play better. Sometimes whenever you play horribly and you see how it goes as a coach, you can come in and really 
hammer that film and show these guys where they need to step up. We're going to have $2,400 and well on our way to that 20% down payment on our mortgage. Hell yeah. Uh, First of all, love the positivity, love the money even more. All right, Ted, let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. Winners and losers are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. You've got all kinds of treatments for men and women at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week? Uh, Lane Kiffin, shockingly, uh, is the winner of the week. What? I have him as my loser. (laughs) Okay, you go first. You give me your Lane reasoning. I'll give you mine. Here's the thing. If if guys are going to miss out on a full year, because we both agree they're not going to play in the spring, right? Pac-12's not playing in the fall. I'll believe uh, it when I see it. Big Ten, uh, the fall's done. I think they've got a better chance at playing in the spring, but still don't think it's going to happen. If guys are going to lose an entire year of football, right, and, and maybe they're seniors, maybe there's there's guys that are – um, are trying to move on and do something else, and, and this is the last go at it that they've got. Um, and quite frankly, I think politics has a lot to do it out there on the a lot to do with why they're not playing out on the West Coast. So I, I think guys should be able to transfer. I really do. They haven't been the ones that mismanaged this thing, okay? And right. in the big Ten, if we're going to sit there and be upset about, how it's been mismanaged by presidents, chancellors, athletic directors. There's no accountability. There's no steady voice. It's, it's a bungled message from top to bottom. Well, we shouldn't be punishing the players for that. And uh, let them transfer out. And here's the thing. I know that's going to create potentially a massive mess for college football. Um, whenever you've got – I mean, you would be turning about, what, 1,200 scholarship players loose if they want to transfer. Be- Awesome. Because Chaos. It's like, I don't know that anyone's got any room at this point in the game for any of those guys. Uh, whenever they start showing up, it's going to be like, hey, listen, I know you've been a four stringer for us for a while, but we're going to have to go ahead and ask you to vacate that scholarship. So I don't necessarily know how it w- would work, but I do think that if we're talking about helping out these players, letting them have more of a voice and more options, then this is as good a time as any to start practicing that. Okay, so I'm with you. I, I kind of agreed with what Lane Kiffin said. The only problem and the reason he was my loser of the week is I didn't know it was Lane Kiffin saying it. Because I'm scrolling. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm putting together the rundown. I'm trying to find all the big stories in college football and the NFL. And I've got my lists on Twitter and I go through it and I go, why is the SEC's official Twitter tweeting a video of Ben Roethlisberger speaking? 
And why does Ben Roethlisberger care about college transfers? And I, and it took me, it literally took me like two or three seconds. I was like, holy shit, that's Lane Kiffin. (laughs) He's wearing all of this stuff. And I was like, so I completely agreed with what he is saying because I'm pretty much pro pro player in all of this stuff. But the man has let himself go. (laughs) I mean, he just had, I don't know what they're feeding him down there in Oxford, but I, I legit thought it was Big Ben at the start. I was like, man, Roethlisberger looks tan. Like, that's weird. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Lane Kiffin. Hey, and, you know, it's no shock either that uh, Lane Kiffin is advocating for that whenever. He needs some players down in uh, Ole Miss, right? He needs to get some guys that's out a good there. point. So Did he wants to head back all the out best to that. players from the Pac-12 now play at Ole Miss. Unbelievable. Uh, he wants to get back out to that Southern, uh, Southern Cal hunting grounds and see if he can get some of those uh, transfers. But um, I, did, uh, I did think he was a winner for the week and not because somehow he landed another job in college football uh, without winning any football games. But he actually had some good things to say. How about that? He did a good job at FAU. He did. Come on. Yeah, he did. All right, who do you have as your loser of the week? Arch Manning, the uh, the kid coming out. Um, it's Cooper's son, I believe, right? Cooper oh, yeah, Manning's okay. Son. So, okay. He is the number one prospect in the 2023 class. And people have already been talking about him. They've been talking about him for a while, and – He's now the number one uh, quarterback in the 2023 class. I think he's the number five player overall. But I, I feel so bad for him because if he goes to college football, and he's going to, you know, and right now he's, he's in high school and he's obviously playing really well if he's already ranked that high. But I would hate to have those expectations that he's going to have whenever he steps foot on campus because everyone in the world is going to expect him to, to be Peyton, to, uh, to be Eli, to, to, you know, Super Bowl caliber quarterback, whenever he steps on campus as a freshman. And I think it's unrealistic. And I think for him, it's, it's gotta be exhausting and it's gotta be a little bit scary that you're going to be expected to at some point go in a Super Bowl before you've even, step foot on a college campus. I mean, I hate that for the kid. And he's probably a fantastic player, and he's around all the right people. Uh, Lord knows he's going to get the right coaching and advice from those guys. But, man, I just feel for him with those expectations. Where did that come from? Did you, like, see a video (laughs) or something? Like, why are you so worried? Like, I I was just, you know, I – because he's the number one recruit now. You care about a, the kids. You not care even about the a kids. sophomore in high school yet. Hadn't even played his. Hadn't even played a, a high school snap of football yet. I'm not and worried about that kid at fun. all. He's going to be a star. He's had those expectations since he played his first football game. Like it's not going to be anything new for him, right? This is people have expected that kid to be amazing at quarterback since he was born. He's used to it. Don't worry about well, it so he much, better Dad. Because, be. I, I, I mean, come on. Like, for instance, his dad is like the other Manning. 
Like, oh, I didn't know uh, Peyton and Eli had a bum didn't, brother that couldn't even make it to the NFL. Didn't Cooper he wasn't he kind of good? Wide receiver. And he's a wide like, receiver at Ole Miss, right? Something happened with like his back or neck or I don't know something like that. I, I he's know. got an excuse. I would have won two Super Bowls too if it wasn't for my back. <laughs> okay, Dad. <laughs> Wonder how many times he's heard that. All right, Ted. My winner of the week: the bubble concept. It has worked beautifully in the NBA, zero positives again. It has worked beautifully in the WNBA. It has worked beautifully in pro soccer. It is working beautifully in the NHL playoffs. It has worked so well, in fact, that Troy Vincent, the executive vice president of football operations for the NFL, said that the NFL will consider a postseason bubble. Those conversations are taking place. Now, we don't know if that's a sure thing. It, nothing has been set in stone, but they're talking about it. Now, Jeff Passan and Emily Kaplan from ESPN reported that Major League Baseball is in the early stages of drafting an operating manual for a playoff bubble. It sounds like they, they want to do something similar to the two-hub city concept that the NHL is using. The bubble is hotter than Damian Lillard. It, it's hotter than Donovan <laughs> Mitchell. It is so hot right now. It's as hot as Hansel was. The bubble concept, what is it? What's going on right now? The DNC, it could run for the Democratic nomination and it, it would beat Joe Biden right now. It would be Trump. It would. The bubble concept is polling at an unbelievable number right now, Teddy. It's, it's, it's awesome to see that it's working because it, it, I can't imagine the amount of hard work that went into that stuff. It, it's unreal, and I'm, just, I'm glad it's working the way that it was designed to work. It's, it's really cool. Now, here's the thing. I love the bubble. I think it's been I think it's been great. It's what's been able to to keep these these sports churning right now. But I'm anti bubble for the NFL playoffs. Anti bubble, and I know that's going against uh, popular opinion right now, and it's going against something that uh, I agree is hot. But let's say, for instance, the Green Bay Packers. Um, are 14 and two and have home field advantage in the playoffs. Part of having home field in football, Chiefs, Packers, uh, Patriots is weather. And that would suck if they said, yeah, we're going to have the playoff bubble in Jerry's world down in Dallas. It would be cool until you're playing the, this, you're the Packers, and you have to play the Saints on turf in Jerry's world. So right. that's part of it. Now, if you could tell me we're going to keep these guys in a bubble and then transport them, fly them to these different places to play <laughs> their games, teleport them, then, then I'm in, okay? But I think weather is such a huge factor in January in the NFL that I'd hate to see it go. Right. I feel you. No, I feel you, but I – I also, part of me goes, well, I just want it to happen. Like, I just, I, I want to see the at best the players the play. Day, yeah. At the end of the day, if that's the only way we can play the thing, 
Yeah, we go play it on an aircraft carrier for all I care. As <laughs> exactly. long as we get to see the uh, playoff football. Go play it in Maui. It's like the Maui Invitational. If Look, you're going to bubble us, bubble us in the right spot. No doubt. Now, my loser of the week was Lane Kiffin because, whew, come on, Lane. Tighten it up, man. Let's go. But uh, I, I do have some honorable mentions. Joe Judge the head coach of the New York Giants for making players and coaches run for mistakes in practice. Allegedly, he's also doing like some version of the Oklahoma drill at the goal line between ball carriers and defensive players. He's taken the names off the back of the practice jerseys. But I will save my judgment for Joe Judge. You see what I did there? Huh? Judgment Love for it. Joe Judge. You see that? The verdict is still out for Joe Judge. I can go all day with the legal puns. But I, I'm going to save my judgment for him until I see if they win games or not. Because this is like the classic Belichick disciple thing, right, Ted, where they try to be a hard ass and we'll see if it works. But I, I can't imagine that players and coaches are very happy about any of this shit. I mean, it's just, ooh. Can you imagine? I mean, it's one thing you jump off sides, hit me a lap. It's another thing if you're a coach and how like degrading would it be as a coach to have to take a lap around the field for a mistake? I mean, uh, can you imagine Jason? I bet Jason Garrett can run a little bit though. Probably. He, he's, he's, he's in pretty good. Who's, who's on the giants coaching staff, like their new staff. They've got to have just some dumpy bodies where when you see them run, it's, it's probably hilarious. I what I would like to see is if the offense has a bad day of practice, instead of making the offensive coaches run, put them in the dirt, three man rolls from the offensive coaches until the whistle blows. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I just looked up the Giants coaching staff. First of all, Burton Burns, who is the running backs coach, legitimately looks like he would die <laughs> if you made I mean, him Part of it's like, listen, guys, I know I asked you to give, give me a lap, but we've got time restrictions on how long we can be out here. So, How about this? Freddie Kitchens okay. is their tight ends coach. I see you, Freddie. Downgraded Get in shape, quickly. Freddie. How about that? So, oh, oh, sweet Jesus. I want you to guess who their outside linebackers coaches he's also the senior assistant i don't know what that means for the new york giants the outside linebackers coach i've got to guess it he he's in the nfl he used to most people know him as a college guy though most guys know him as a college guy he was part of your favorite nfl team staff recently dude brett bielema is running oh, laps. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot he was oh with New gosh. England last year. How about that? That uh, – how much money would you pay to watch Brett Bielema have to run, like, two laps around the practice field? I, I mean, mean – I'd definitely pay 50 bucks affair. for sure. Yeah, I'd, I mean, it'll last longer than that Mike Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. fight's going to last whenever they have that. We, we've, maced, we've wasted money on worse things. It might kind of look like the same thing. You know, uh, two laps to look like him getting hit by Tyson. Yeah. And uh, another honorable mention for loser of the week, uh, baseball in general. We don't talk about baseball on here, but between the 
Fernando Tatis Jr. Grand Slam debate and the league freaking out about Trevor Bauer's free Joe Kelly's shoes. It it's just a good it's just a good reminder that uh we don't talk about baseball in here because it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. most of the things that they get all in a in a in a big a tizzy. over are just the most ridiculous things ever. Just... I love that a guy got suspended eight games in a shortened season for not even hitting anybody. Just... Amazing. But it, truly Truly amazing. All right, let's finish up with everybody's favorite segment, and that is Keeping It Local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. Keeping It Local is brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools are reopening in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio continues, continues, guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org, and I promise your kids will read better than I do. Goodness. All right. An interesting story, sports-related, OU-related. And I I just thought it was really interesting. So the Sooner Summit is this weekend. So the Sooner Summit is being organized by five-star quarterback Caleb Williams and his family. They are basically organizing an unofficial visit for guys that are committed to OU and guys that they want to commit to OU and join Caleb at OU. So – now, it doesn't sound like there's much of an agenda, but this really isn't something that, I, I mean, I recall ever seeing, Ted, and it sounds like they're going to throw the ball around a little bit, but mostly just hang out and go out to eat because there are weird circumstances with the extended dead period right now in college football. So I thought it was pretty cool to see the biggest name in this recruiting class taking charge, and essentially doing OU's recruiting for them. But Caleb Williams went on Twitter and asked where they should eat. And so I saw that, and I put a tweet out there from the podcast account of the three recommendations you would give Caleb Williams and the guy, the guys he is bringing to the Sooner Summit. Now, I'm going to let you start with your recommendations for these young men because there's no one that knows the crevices of the Norman and Oklahoma City area quite like Teddy Lehman. Um, Okay, so here's the thing. If we're looking for a breakfast spot, it's either the diner or Juan Del Fuego's. I mean, it's it's one of those two spots. Okay, I'm with you on the diner. That is probably a perfect time to mention Rest in peace, Ozzy's Diner at the Norman Airport. RIP. That was so sad to see that it is closed for good. Oh, broke my heart. Yep. That's pretty frustrating. But those are your two breakfast spots, Juan Del Fuego's and the diner. Um, If we're talking about like a a low-key lunch spot, in my opinion, I just love this place, Bison Witches. Absolutely Ooh, love bison I'm, witches. 
I'm all aboard bison witches. That is a that's a great suggestion and one that doesn't get suggested enough in the Norman area. I lived off the half sandwich and soup deal through college. Uh, it was like I was probably gone up. It was like seriously like six ninety nine whenever I was in college on a very small budget. That was the go to spot. So that would be a good lunch spot if they're trying to do a brunch or something and. I mean, neighborhood jam would be a pretty good spot to go. Hopefully, and hopefully they can pull some strings, maybe not have to wait. <laughs> no doubt. That place is packed. That place is bumping always. But I, I see you throughout Tarahumaras and Benvenuti's, which are two great. I mean, if you're looking for Italian and Mexican and Norman, that's where you're going. If you're I going love for, Benvenuti's. Yeah, I, I love do too. it. Um, if you're going for a steak, they did just open a ranch in Norman. So the ranch is up and running in Norman. Let's so, go. And I assume if it's like the one in Oklahoma City, there's a private room. Maybe these young gentlemen could secure said private room. Just saying. You know, I was little... on, here's what I was thinking. Once I saw that this the Sooner Summit was happening, I was thinking about hosting all of the guys for a pool party at your house. Is that legal? Like, uh, just now, there's, let me make it clear, there's no fucking way, but (laughs) (laughs) if if it was legal under NCAA rules, you know, eligibility rules, because I don't know if I'm considered a booster, things like that, like, if we had time to plan something like that in the future i'd do it the only problem is we didn't really build that big of a pool like because i didn't i didn't expect 20 gigantic high school football players to be over at my house at any point in time really well i don't know if it's against the rules or not and i don't know my philosophy has always been it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is permission, but that may not point. be the best way to approach that situation. Maybe. I don't know how the NCAA feels about that. Maybe not. Now, we did have some people respond and give their suggestions. Now, our buddy Jason Kersey, who is going to have a great article out by now. By the time you're listening to this, Jason will have an article out about the Sooner Summit there on The Athletic. I know he talked to Caleb Williams' dad. So I see Kersey still going, man. Still Look breaking news. Having a hell of a, a pandemic right now. Hell of a week for our man Kersey. And he recommended or he responded and said, Kindles, duh. Now, if you've never been to Kindles in Noble, who boy, bring some pants with an elastic waistband. Now, a lot of people, they get the chicken fried steak. I'm here to tell you to get the chicken fried chicken. It is delightful teddy have you been to kindles never and we're not cinnamon rolls complimentary cinnamon rolls dude that sounds good and i'm not against going to kindles that sounds like it's right up my alley but we're not taking our recruits to kindles in noble i'm sorry (laughs) you got to stay in norman right that's fair I will say this. We used to go, we, the, the offensive lineman, we'd go to Kendall's and Tiffany's both. Like we'd go, we'd, I mean, it's not that far. Really? It's really not. not. It's not, but I, I vote no on that. Um, even though I shouldn't really have a vote, I've never been there. 
All right, that's that's fair. All right, Jonathan Dial at JPD underscore 405 says, has to be Greek House. I'm a Greek House fan. Yes. I'm definitely a Greek House fan. That's, that's pretty it. good. Now, I'll, here's what I will say. The Greek House, while I love it and used to go there in college all the time, that's not really a place for the masses. That's like right. some people that's good like point. that. Other not people, the biggest establishment. Right. Other people – you know, maybe not to be too yep. big on, on the Greek food. Some people may, depending on where they're from, you know, what part of the country, I mean, they may, may, may never even had Greek food, right? I mean, it's, and I'm not trying to make Mediterranean cuisine sound like it's not common. I know it is everywhere in this country, but not everyone eats Mediterranean food growing up. I mean, what that's kind the of one hell of those is things. That huge block spinning over there. <laughs> What's that block of meat on that sp- spike? Um, David T at Southwest Sooner Gent six six seven recommends sugars. <laughs> Do they have a lunch menu? Uh, lunch buffet seafood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it at that. Now, Glenn Warshaw at G-Dub Sooner says Tiffany's and Noble. Another vote for Tiffany's. Says O'Connell's. What What's Tiffany's? It's, it's just this, it's this local restaurant in, no, in Noble. It's just like this hole in, it's not really hole in the wall. It's right on the main street there in Noble, but it's like just a locally family-owned run. It's, they've got a bunch of stuff on the walls. I don't know. It's, it's like a classic comfort food place it's awesome it really is did you oh wait sorry i just described kindles tiffany's is the breakfast place across the street it's really good sorry um i heard you say o'connell's now when you were in college was the original o'connell's still there the original o'connell's right there on the corner of jenkins and Lindsay was still there i like the new one but it's it's just it's just not the same as the original. The original was awesome. Too mainstream for you. Well, I don't, it's just, I don't know. Maybe the, there's just a comfortable feeling seeing the old shuffleboard over there. That's you know has the three prongs broken in the middle from someone slamming the puck in there whenever they're not supposed to love. I mean, it's, it's just a, it was just a comfortable spot. I I do like the new one. It's, I mean, it's nicer. It's a lot nicer, but that place was packed on game days pretty yeah, cool for sure chris lambacus uh recommends the mont the greek house and ray's barbecue ray's is a good suggestion dude always the mont is a fantastic suggestion love the mont i agree with that there's no doubt but these are high school kids the best part about the mont swirl yeah. is going and drinking 57 swirls and walking somewhere hoping you don't stumble into traffic maybe that's just me <laughs> but i i think it's good don't get me wrong but if you can't indulge in the swirls i mean you're 18 years old that would kind of are suck. you telling me who is your host whenever you took your official visit brody eldridge you can oh, imagine <laughs> what happened to me yes it was nice. it was uh it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun. There's no doubt. Um, any other good ones? Uh, ooh, Link Up. Oh, that's not their real name. At Satirical Sooner 
has some OKC suggestions, rooftop pizza at the Hall's Pizza Kitchen, or Valare on Campus rooftop, Corner. That's what I was about to say. If you're going to do rooftop pizza, you go to Valare and they can play uh, something up there on the Jumbotron. That place is awesome. I don't think I've been there. Dude, Maybe I have. It, I don't think I have. They've got a – I mean, it's like four stories up. They've got this uh, patio up on the top of the building. And you can – like look straight. It looks like you're looking at a uh, just a big TV. Whenever the jumbotron's on, you can see it that clearly. It's awesome. Nice. Well, there's your suggestion, Sooner Summit attendees. So, hope somehow you guys get this information and make the most of it. Use it. Have fun. Be responsible. All right, Ted. Episode thirty-five in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you do. I messed it up. Really? Okay. I'm going to redo it. Here we go. Edit Edit button. No, I'm not editing. That takes effort. (laughs) Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time